Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the Lord's into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. We have a new song that kind of goes along with Psalm 24. Hope it's blessed to you. More importantly, blessing to the Lord. In the name of the Lord, with wisdom and power to make the land and sea. Who is he who speaks in the midst of the storm and walks on the water to bring his word to me? Jesus, Jesus, there 
If somebody out there has, it's been on my heart <coughs> for a long time. If you're away from God, this is a season for you to come back. If you don't know the Lord, it's always time for you to, until that last breath, to come to him. But if you knew the Lord and walk with him and you're estranged, there is no sin that you have done that could keep you away from him. This is an appeal for you to come home. The blood shall never lose its power. Your condemnation is the only thing that's holding you back from coming to him. let's say you're not backslidden God has a work for you to do the guilt that the enemy is holding over your head is keeping you from moving on in God 
your sin is cast as far as east is from the west. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. The enemy is a liar and you do not have to listen to him. These last days, God wants his people to do great exploits. Like a brother shared when their prayer time, it could be in a supermarket. But don't let guilt keep you away from doing God's work for you and through you and in you. My sin, oh, the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is longer than others 
I don't know why God's people suffer. We're so strangers to that in this country. But I see people in great pain. And somehow there's joy upon them. Oh, God. Help us, oh, God, to not be so addicted to these comforts that we just will fold like a cheap suit when the trial will come. Well, especially when persecution comes. Help us, oh God, to rejoice in the middle of it all. We lift up those among us who are sick in body, who are still rejoicing in you, but this suffering. Thank you, Lord, for even bring them to our minds. Everyone in this house can think of somebody. I think about uh, in our prayer time, those who have lost loved ones. Sometimes left with questions. Just bring your comforting hand like the bomb of Gilead. Bring your healing touch, Lord. your sustaining power, the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, in all you know all about it. Father, in law we understand why cheer up my brother live in the sunshine we'll know a time all by and We didn't practice this. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, but suffered as if he authority every victory 
is yours. All authority. All authority. Every victory is yours. Say. Oh, say. 
reading is from Luke chapter 6 verses 37 and 38. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it would be measured back to you. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Y'all haven't seen anything till you sat next to Norman when, when he's doing everything he's doing at the same time. His left hand was doing one thing, his right hand was doing the other, and I think he was eyeballing something else to try to make sure it was right. It was all going like crazy. The website was not streaming quite properly this morning, so he was trying to get all that going on on one hand, and he was changing songs on the other hand, and he was on his phone in between time trying to figure out get coached. I don't know what all he was doing, but it was something to see. Thank you, Norman, for all that you do. We appreciate you. A lot goes on back in the behind the scenes when things are trying to all flow, so... It's amazing to see what God does in this small little body and what he gifted us with because that's all self-taught. Norman figured all that out, and we, had a, we were laughing the other day. We used to have a little, uh, a little lapel mic and a little webcam, and now it's just, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's beyond me, but I'm thankful. I hope that you are too. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here today. We welcome those online as well. We're going to continue our study in Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Our title this morning is Forgiveness is Not a Suggestion. It's a command. So, Father, we ask that you speak to us gently, but also uh, directly, Lord, because there's some areas of our heart that we need to look at as we get into the message this morning. Specifically, how are we treating one another? And are we doing it within the body of Christ according to your word? Or are we going outside to the world? Air and dirty laundry that the world doesn't need to see. I just pray, God, that you open our hearts and minds to know that as believers, Lord, we have you, we have your spirit, we have your word, and we have those, Lord, that, that you've given to us to help us walk through things with discernment so that, Lord, we appropriately handle difficult times and difficult things as they come up among ourselves. And I pray, God, that you would just speak to our hearts this morning regarding any area that we've kind of tucked away with bitterness or unforgiveness or even judgment. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning. Let us learn to release those things so the freedom of the Spirit can flow through us to accomplish all that you want to accomplish. So we thank you and praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we talked about appropriate church discipline, which is sometimes missing in the church today. And rather than dealing with sin, often it's covered up in order to, uh, to avoid scandal. And in some cases it's covered up or not even covered up. It's just accepted. It's just accepted that this is okay. Um, when you drive by a certain church in the, in the area and you see all these rainbow-colored flaggy signs with all this warm, lovey, fuzzy message about everything, accepting all. I mean, their heart is, is to accept all, and there's nothing wrong accepting all, but you don't accept everybody into the body of Christ unless they come through Jesus. They've got to come through one door. And His Word says these things are an abomination, or you can't live this lifestyle, you can't do these things. And we have to accept that for what it is, and not just then put up signs saying, well, you can live any way you want to and come on in and be a part of the body of Christ. That is blasphemy. But that's what's going on in the culture today. It's accepted. It's all about tolerance and freedom until you speak God's word. They're not very tolerant to God's word or to those speaking God's word. They're only tolerant if you're in their camp. Now, God does bring freedom from legalism of the Mosaic Law, and he brings freedom from the law of sin and death. He brings all of that through Jesus Christ. But it's not freedom to be in bondage to the fleshly sinful nature. That's, that's bondage again. Why would we be linked back up with that when he's already delivered us through the blood of Jesus? Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, not going back to the old. That's dead. We're now walking in the newness of life. In Romans 6, 12 through 18, 
in the same same passage, this is just a little further down in the same same era here, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey, obey it in its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. I'm sorry, I lost my place there for a second. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that one, or, or you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Now, a lot of people may not like that term, slaves, but you have to understand the connotation of what it's saying. You were in bondage to a master of sin. You were enslaved to it. Everyone is when they're born into this world. You're born a slave to sin. Why? Because of the fall. We're all born into it. We can't escape it except through Jesus Christ. And once we receive him, we are no longer a slave to unrighteousness, but we're a slave to righteousness. But this slavery is a willing slavery. It's the bondservant that we've talked about. It's the willingness to come and be a slave to Jesus. Because he is the only master that we have that is perfect in all of his ways. He's the only master that we can come to and be enslaved into righteousness, which sets us free from the law of sin and death. So as we look at these things, we see that there's a... Um, we should never use our religious freedoms to justify our flesh and practice or accept sin in the camp. You can't do that. And there are many, again, that will run out. I have freedom. I have freedom. Well, wonderful. You have freedom. What is that freedom from? It's from sin. So don't say you have freedom to sin. <laughs> you have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. And people just can't seem to grasp that many times. And God is very clear. His word is very clear on the fact that God is holy. And we too should walk in holiness. Now this is not to say that we're perfect. I'm not putting that, that, uh, that mantle on you of perfection. However, you are striving for perfection. You're living for perfection knowing that even though, as Paul said, I have not attained, I press on, putting behind what is behind, Moving forward toward the goal, which is Jesus Christ. Him in us. Him living through us. That's our goal. And so we should walk toward that goal. He does the perfecting. <laughs> we do the submitting. There's no other way to look at it. You can't perfect yourselves. But he can't perfect you either until you submit to him. And walk in obedience. In this relationship. He changes our desires, and we become more like Him. Now, we, the church, as we studied last week, 
are to judge the church in accordance to his word. Not to seek every speck in our brother's eye, but we're to humbly look at our own, our own heart, our own life. And when we see a brother or sister fall into sin, we have a responsibility to go to them in love and rebuke, correct, and restore if they're repentant. Again, it's not taking the Bible and beating them up with it. It's going with the Word of God to one who says they're a believer and says, you say you love Jesus. You say you're walking in relationship with Jesus. You say you're a Christian brother or sister. In order for that to really be true, you have to honor God's Word as truth, full truth. And if you're not walking in that, this is what the Word of God says. Now, how do we go from there? We covered all that last week. I encourage you to go back and look at that. If they don't repent, you take a witness with you. If they don't repent, then bring them to the church. And if it's a blatant sin that they refuse to accept or deal with, Paul said, put them out of the church. He went on to say, don't even associate with a brother who's living in sin and claims to be a believer. But he didn't say to separate yourself from the world. Now, let me rephrase that. We're to separate ourselves from the world because we're separated by Christ in the world. We're no longer of it, but we're in it. But it doesn't mean that we separate from people because we're supposed to be a light to people. But if a believer is not walking in accordance to the word of God, they need to be dealt with within the body, not in the world. And we're going to get into that message this morning. Now, this week, Paul continues this thing of church discipline and our responsibility to judge ourselves. And last week, we focused primarily on sexual sin. That's going to come up again in our future message. I thought it would come up this week. Not going to get that far. But Paul explains the scope uh, of, uh, to conflicts between one another. In other words, he's, he's, he's kind of now expanded this out. We're, we're looking beyond just sexual sin. We're talking about any issue that you have between brothers and sisters should be dealt with within the body of christ so let's begin first corinthians 6 1 through 8 dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world will be judged by you are you not are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters do you not know that we shall judge angels? And I'm going to stop on a minute there because that's an interesting, interesting phrase. There's, there's a couple of places you can kind of actually look at. We're going to be judging with Christ, ruling and reigning with Christ. I believe we will be with him after the final judgment. And when he casts Satan and all the demons into hell, I think we're going to be right there with him. So I do believe that's part of this judgment that he's speaking of. At this point, though, we're not to judge the angels, and put ourselves in a place because they are more powerful beings than we are. God created them. He created us. But we're not in a position of power over them, but we're also free from dominion under the demonic realm as well. We have that authority and that power through Christ Jesus. But we're still not to go after them. You know, we saw that in Jude. Even... Uh, Michael the archangel, I believe it was Michael Gabriel, whichever one it was, said, you know, he, maybe the Lord rebuke you, Satan, for, for trying to get to Moses' bones and do something with him. He said, may the Lord rebuke you. He himself didn't attack Satan. So we don't want to get all bold and, and dancing on Satan's head like the soul songs used to be, you know, prancing around thinking we're this and we're that. 
But what we do is we take the authority that's within us through the power of Jesus Christ, through his spirit that lives within us, and we can stand and say, no, this is from the devil, and may the Lord rebuke it, may the Lord take care of it in the name of Jesus, because that's the authority that we have through him, not within ourselves. Important that we understand that. But he goes on, how much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between he or between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? I'm going to read that again. I'm going to read it kind of slow. Because this has been on my heart for a long, 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 long time. Many years, this passage has just jumped out at me. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? than going to the world for judgment. That's what he's saying. Very clear. But then he goes on. He says, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. So he flips it on them, doesn't he? It's not only that, that you're not allowing it to be judged through the church, you're doing it yourself. You're doing the cheating. And you do these things to your brethren. So Paul is making a clear point reaffirming what we studied last week. The church should be responsible for handling its own issues without bringing the world system into it. And maybe the real reason we go to those outside the church is we don't want to be judged by the standards of God's Word. I mean, think about that for a minute. If there's a conflict between two believers and neither one of them or one of the two don't want to go to the church, for a discussion or decision over, but rather go to the world, maybe it's because they have something in their own heart that they know will be exposed when God's Word is brought forth. Don't want to deal with that. So we'll just go to the world with it. We'll deal with it out there. They don't have any scruples. Their attorneys are all, all you know, whatever. We can get one to twist it our way. And really, when you think about it, and I'm not saying all defense attorneys are this way, but a lot of them don't care about guilt or innocence. They're looking for the loophole. That's all they want. Oh, yeah, that evidence is very clear. He's guilty of sin. But you gather that evidence incorrectly, so therefore you can't use it, so he gets to go free. Where do they come up with this stuff? It shouldn't matter how you get evidence anymore. If it's there, grab it <laughs> and use it in accordance to the law. But this is my point. It's easier to sway a worldly court than a godly one. You can sway things because they don't care about truth. They don't care about really the law. All they care about is they're getting paid to get you out or they're getting paid to put you in. And you have corruption on both sides. 
That's the world. That's how it works. And Christians are going to that system for a purpose. Win at all costs. That's all that really matters. They don't care if there's something in their argument that's not true. They don't care if they know that they've probably somewhat twisted things a little bit. Because the world will take that and run with it. But the church won't if they're walking in accordance to the word of God. So it makes sense as to why people in the church are going to the world. Because they don't want things completely exposed in truth. God's truth. See, if God looks at the heart, and we know he does, and the church being in line with God and his word, how will your heart be seen in the matter of a dispute? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we afraid for the true attitude of our heart to be exposed? If that's the case, yeah, it makes sense to go to court outside. And they want to, you know, doesn't matter there. We have to understand that any conflict or dispute, there are three sides. My side, your side, and the truth. And I don't care how saintly you think you are, your side is biased. It always is. There's a bias to it. It doesn't matter because you don't want to see the other side's point. You have to be right, you have to win, and therefore you're biased. And see, my side and your side is only going to be biased toward our flesh. Ooh, stings a little, don't it? But the truth takes that equation out. See, God's truth takes the flesh out of it. It completely takes the fleshly emotion, the response... The reaction or action takes it away. Now, here it is. This is the truth. This is what happened. This person did this. This person responded this way. This is the truth. What does God's word say about what this person did and what did this, how did this person respond? What does the word of God say? Once we get to that, if both parties are willing to look at God's word fully, as the absolute, then it can be resolved. But if the person is still going to be in their flesh in it and say, well, I still don't agree with it. Okay. This is what God's word says. So what you're saying is you don't agree with God's word. Therefore, who has the problem here? Now, that's, again, something that, we, that each believer has to come to the point of. We have to come to understand that we're submitting to God, which also means submitting to one another. Paul is telling us here that we must humble ourselves, submit to one another, and allow the truth to outweigh all bias. And Paul says going to an outside court is shameful for the church. It's shameful. Not only for our sake, but the world's watching. You're taking this to court outside in front of the whole world to see. And nobody likes their dirty laundry aired. You just don't. But when you're a believer, 
and you're supposed to be loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you're supposed to love one another as yourself, and then you have this dirty laundry that you can't contain within the body and take it to the world, what do they see? They see they're messed up. They're no different than us. Why do I want to go? I can sleep in on Sunday. I can do what I want to do on Sunday or any other day that you choose to worship. I don't have to go to that. Why bother? They're doing the same thing we're doing. They're acting the same way. And then you go into the church the first Sunday and they're fighting over something. Big split over this, a big split over that. All fleshly stuff. Because the word of God does not divide the church. It divides us from the world, separates us from the world, but it doesn't separate the body of Christ. It's supposed to bring us together. So where's the focus? What are we looking at? Going to these outside courts is a shame, according to Paul. If we're acting as the world does, and we handle all matters of the church as the world does, then why do they want to be Christians? What's the purpose and what's the point? Again, they don't have any conviction over not coming and being a part if they're seeing the same thing inside that they're seeing outside. See, we're called, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> out of the world. Again, let me get back to that point. We're in the world, we're not of it. We're called out, meaning that we're no longer operating in the world system. We're now operating in God's system. Two separate things. We're living among each other, but we're separate. We're called out. Psalm 4, 2 through 4 says, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthless and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. See, here's the thing. He sets apart those who want to be in relationship with him and who want to live accordance to his rule, his law, his love. That's who he set apart. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18, he says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is a calling. This is a separation. And this is where the world and some churches actually accept this principle. Oh, we're all God's children. No, we are not. We're all part of God's creation but we're not all God's children. The only way we are now God's children is to be adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus. The only door. The only way. That's our avenue. And if you haven't come through that door, you're not a child of God. I don't care how many pretty signs you put on your lawn. I don't care how many colors are in them. I don't care how many little beautiful little loving sayings are on it. If you didn't come through Jesus, through His Word... His truth, then you're not in the kingdom of God. Now, that's harsh for some. Some say, oh, no, we're all love 
hurting one another. You're just being mean. No, I'm speaking God's truth. I love you enough to tell you the word. That's where we're going to find our truth. We are God's people. We no longer belong to ourselves. And we no longer belong to the world. We're separated out. Therefore, we're not supposed to use the world system or wisdom to handle our affairs. Now, verse 7, again, has always been an interesting verse to me. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Well, it's pretty obvious. The flesh does not want to be wronged. Pride, when it's offended, gets mad. And it wants to fight back. It wants to push back. And our first reaction is to let our fleshly emotions rise up to defend ourselves. That's the fleshly normality. We're all born with it. Some of my little kid stole my toy, you go take it back. They punch you, you punch them. He punches harder, you let him have the toy. The way of the world. But that's the way it is. We push and fight to get our way. We push and fight to, to defend ourselves. It's the natural process of the flesh, but we already know that that's not what's to be controlling us any longer. We're no longer supposed to be operating by our flesh. And not only do we let our fleshly emotions rise up to defend ourselves, we then go to whoever listen and build alliances against the one who offended us. Bringing division. And this happens in the body. When somebody gets their feather, feathers all ruffled, rather than humbling themselves and going and dealing with it appropriately, biblically, they get mad and they go tell somebody else, get them mad, go tell somebody else. Next thing you know, you've got one church on one side of the coin and one church on the other, all mad at one another because they weren't going and handling things appropriately by the Word of God. When you look at this in its simplest form, Paul is saying it's better to be wrong and forgive even when you're right than to fight with one another, specifically in a court outside of the church. Think about this for a minute. We have a couple of examples of what it means to not fight back at the time you weren't supposed to fight back. Stephen is one of our examples that we look at. He was stoned to death. Acts 5, 57 through 60. This is the crowd. They rose up and they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears because they didn't like what he was saying. They stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the seat of a young man named Saul. And it's so interesting. This young man named Saul, who is Paul, is one that's writing this message for us today. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen could have picked up a rock and threw it back before he got completely wiped out. He could have pushed back and said, you're going to all be burning in hell for this. But he didn't. He didn't. His eyes were on Jesus. Matter of fact, a passage in here, which is not in my notes this morning, said he saw Jesus standing. Standing. That's like a welcome. Come on in. Because Jesus, we know, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, is he not? And has been. So when he stood to welcome Stephen. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, every time someone dies and enters the kingdom, Jesus stands up. Well, well that's a lot of up and down in. But maybe he does them in groups. I don't know. But I know he stood in this case. And then Jesus himself gave us the greatest example as he's dying on the cross. In Luke 23, 33 through 34. And when they come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do, not, they do not know what they do. See, if Jesus had allowed his human emotions to rise up, and he was human, he was God, he was both. But he was submitted to the Father, to the Father's will. That was his calling on this earth, to do the Father's will. But had he allowed his emotions to take over, he could have called 10,000 angels down from heaven. It took him off the cross, bandaged his wounds, healed him up. And he would have cast all those others away to damnation for eternity. But where would that have left us? We too would be non-redeemed people. We would not be saved by the grace of God. And the mercy of God. We would still be condemned to death. With no hope of redemption. See being wronged in this life. Ultimately means nothing. If we're in Christ. What does it matter? Colossians 3. 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Now, just for a second, we'll stop that passage. If you're setting your, thing, your sight on things above, you're not going to be focusing on all these little petty things down here, are you? When you're wronged, yeah, it may sting a little. It may hurt. You may even suffer loss. But you still are looking at the eternal picture, not the momentary picture. And if you really, again, and I say this a lot, I'd, I'd, I'd like to reword it, but I don't know how to. The, 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 the short years that we live on this earth won't even compare to eternity as far you can't measure it. It's immeasurable. It's a tiny, tiny speck of a drop of time because eternity is forever. But yet, we look at this life as though this is it. Get it here. We can't be wronged here. We're Christians after all. We should never be wronged here. We're supposed to get all these blessings. And I do believe that many times 
we look at it that way. But to finish this passage, it says, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. For you died and your life is what? Hidden. Your life is no longer exposed to the world. It's hidden. The true you is hidden away in Christ, in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's what's coming. That's what we're go- our goal is. That's, our, that's what we long for. But I do believe that, that we all tend to look at this life as the end all, the final destination, rather than a short journey until we meet Jesus face to face. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 19. If we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation Uh, expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It's really a mindset and a heart set, more of a heart set than a mindset. The heart's got to convince the mind. But if we're focusing on the things above, if we're focusing on Jesus, then when we're wronged here, it's not as big of a deal as we tend to want to make it. And that's why Paul says, would you not rather be wrong than to take this out to the world and just just show all this stuff to the world and be ugly in front of the world when we're not supposed to be that way? Sometimes suffering comes in the form of being wronged. I mean, if you think about it, A lot of the suffering Paul talks about, we're being wronged for Christ's sake. Now, brothers and sisters shouldn't be wronging one another, but again, we are still in this fleshly tent. We still have the fleshly nature, and so therefore we still tend to rise up and be ugly when we're not supposed to be and act out when we're not supposed to. There's a remedy for that. It's called repentance. It's called first recognition, then repenting, then restoration. The three R's. But you've got to recognize what's going on in our own mind, in our own heart, before we can actually deal with the problem that's coming our way. Because if we're not willing to do that, then we're going to come at them hard and heavy in the flesh. And chances are that's what they came to us with to begin with. But sometimes the wrongs come through. And that's what suffering is, is being wrong. And giving that over to the Lord for him to deal with. According to how he sees fit is the appropriate action. Matthew five thirty-eight through 48. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. 
Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if, you've lo if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, talk about a true thorn for our fleshly nature. goes against everything. And I almost bet some of us, when we read these words, well, that doesn't mean this, though. And that doesn't mean that. So-and-so shouldn't have, and blah, blah, blah. Well, no, it means what it says. This is a spiritual action, not a fleshly reaction. Spiritual action, not a fleshly reaction. Now, does this mean that we're to be everybody's doormat? Because that's the next thing somebody's going to ask. Well, that you're just saying we've got to be everybody's doormat. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. We can be strong and we can be bold. When dealing with conflicts. As long as you're strong and bold in the spirit of God and in the word of God, not in your flesh. See, this strength and boldness has to come from him. It can't come from us. If we think we're going to handle the situation with our own boldness, then we're right back in the flesh again. And we're going to keep that fight going. To forgive one who has wronged you doesn't mean you can't openly say what they did was wrong. It doesn't mean you just accept it and, and just overlook it. No. If it's spiritual, if you're spiritually looking at it through the eyes of God, through the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's okay to say you are wrong and this is why, according to the Word of God. However, what do you do from that point forward? Are you going to then take it to court? Are you going to go and try to fight it, do all this stuff, and prove your point? Or are you going to say, but I choose to forgive you? Whatever you do with that is up to you. But I choose to forgive you. And I'm going to walk with Jesus on this one. And turn. You don't have to engage. You don't have to, to fight over it. You don't have to be all of that. See, by, by pointing out a wrong doesn't mean that we hold that over their head in judgment when you release it by forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a suggestion. We're commanded to forgive. We forgive the offense, but also know, and this is a very important part here, that when you have been offended, and I'm not talking about the way the world defines offended because they're offended over everything. Huh! There's a stick broken. I'm offended. You broke that stick. You weren't watching where you were going. It's a dead stick. It's a limb that's rotten. Yeah, I stepped on it. Get over it. That's the world. I'm just. But. When you've been offended. Trust can be broken and often is broken. So how is that dealt with? 
Only acceptance and repentance from those who have wronged us can restore trust. If there's no acceptance and recognition that they've done wrong, then the trust is still broken. So therefore, you don't have to put yourself in the place of trusting that they're going to change or trusting that they're going to do differently the next time. So you have to put yourself in the hands of God here, not in their hands, and don't submit to them in those areas that they've broken trust. See, we have no control over others' actions or behaviors. We can't control anybody. That's one of the big problems with the flesh. We think we can't. First, we think we're controlling ourselves when we're never, we're never in control of ourselves. That's the whole problem to begin with. We're always out of control, which causes problems. But then you want to control the situation. Then you want to control the person in the situation. And you want to get the outcome that you want by controlling that. And you're out of control the whole time. You can't do it. It's a physical, emotional, mental spirit. It's impossible. You're not in control. Now, as believers, according to what the Word tells us, we have a gift from the Holy Spirit of self-control. So what does that tell us? doesn't come from us, does it? See, if that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, not a, I call it a gift, but it's really one of the fruits. If it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, what that tells us is that it only comes from the Spirit. It can't come from the flesh. So therefore, if you have any self-control at all, it's a godly self-control to go through this situation and keep your eyes on Jesus and not get off on balance in any other way. That's a, that is a fruit. That comes from Him. And ultimately, this entire message can be summarized in this passage in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. They're contrary. They don't go together. They butt apart. They're contrary to one another. You don't do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. What's that law? The law of sin and death. You're no longer bound by that. You're not bound up into your fleshly emotions anymore unless you choose to be. You're now set free. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hate, uh, hatred. And some of these are falling into, the, into these things that we're talking about this morning. You know, com uh, things that people have done to one another. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to focus for a moment on that word practice. When he says practicing these things, he's not talking about the one who stumbles into an emotional reaction situation and recognizes it and repents. He's talking about someone who claims to be a believer. But lives this way. As though it's okay. I can practice any of these things. I can practice orneriness. I can practice the flesh. And God loves me anyway. 
Yeah, he loved you enough to give you a way out of it. That doesn't mean that you're a child of God. It doesn't mean that you're right with God. But then it goes on in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Reining in those fleshly emotions. And against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Take up your cross daily. You know what Jesus said? Hang those things on it. And we live in the Spirit, or if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. See, the Spirit gives us what we're lacking in our flesh to handle things according to the way God wants them done. It's not natural to us. It's unnatural. But it brings us into a whole different place of truth when we're no longer walking according to our emotions, according to how we want to deal with things. Now, we've died to that. We're now coming to Christ. We're allowing Him to handle things the way He wants to handle them. And walking in the Spirit gives us the strength and boldness to confront and forgive and put behind the conflicts that are here and now. Again, Putting behind the conflict doesn't mean that you've built trust back. It means you have to walk in caution in that relationship. And I'm going to be honest with you, there are times that that relationship needs to be severed for a while. Not that you're kicking the person out of the church, but that you're saying, I have to be, I can't be in this position because if I'm in this position with you and this conflict is going to create more issue. Because you're not reasonably accepting the fact that this, according to God's word, you need to deal with this. That mean you don't love them. That mean that you don't pray for them. It means that you've released them because you can't control them anyway. And I think often about the battered women and the battered women syndrome, where they go back. On a simple word, I'm sorry, I won't do it again until he takes the next drink, until he has that outburst for whatever purpose, and it stirs up all over again. And he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And she goes back. And in some cases, she won't even press charges or won't testify against him. What's in that? It's, there, there's no trust. The trust has been broken. But yet... They keep going back on a simple word. See, there's a difference between uh, recognizing something and having remorse than recognizing and repenting, which means to turn away from, which means there has to be some something in them that's going to bring change. They're going to have to come to the point where they recognize that they're out of control because that's the whole point of this, too. Those who are doing the offending are out of control. They're not in control of themselves either. So trust is a very important part here. So we have to make sure that we're not submitting ourselves into a place of danger because we have forgiven. And I really, sometimes I think about this term, forgive and forget. I'm not sure that that's biblical. To forgive means to release 
It doesn't mean to pretend it never happened. Or forget that it ever happened. But it does mean to forgive means that you've no longer holding judgment over them. That you're releasing them to God. Let him handle the judgment when judgment is due. But you at the same time are walking in the spirit. And the power of the spirit to say no. No, not today. My wife has a shirt. Not today, Satan. It got commented on a walk on the trail one time. Did I tell you that story? I think I told you that story. We were walking on the trail. And we came upon these people that were taking pictures of their kids, you know. And she had on that shirt. I had on a race shirt, a shirt that I got from one of my races. And they said, oh, and I, I like that shirt. And I said, oh, thanks. I got this race on so-and-so and so-and-so, you know. They weren't talking about my shirt. They were talking about her shirt. And she didn't say a word about it till we got about 30 yards away. And she said, you know, they were talking about me. Ah, just threw me under the bus. I bet they were laughing. But I forgive you for that, honey. But I hadn't forgotten it. <laughs> Forgiveness is not a suggestion. Forgiveness is a command. Therefore, let us always come to the Lord in humility. That's a key factor of our relationship. Asking him to reveal to us and in us any part of our fleshly nature that we're hanging on to. This self-examination keeps coming up, doesn't it? When you're in a conflict, rather than dealing head-on with the conflict, get along with the Lord and say, Lord, where is my issue in this conflict? What are you seeing here? Be prepared what he might show you. Well, you've got a sour attitude. That's your first problem. You took it wrong. That's your second problem. You're judging them outside of the Word of God. That's your third problem. Now, see, it's just a list can go on and on and on. But we don't want to see that, do we? That's, again, what we talked about earlier on, why sometimes believers would rather go to a court outside because they can manipulate that. But you can't manipulate God. And you can't manipulate His Word. And so we have to come to Him in humility, asking Him to reveal what's going on in our fleshly nature so then we can respond in the spirit when conflict arises. And that we may also uh, not be of those that Paul speaks of in verse 8. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. See, again, it comes back to looking at your brother and pulling out a speck, whether you're not dealing with a plank in your own eye. It's human nature. All of these things that we're talking about arise out of the human nature side, the fleshly side, the part that we want to defend ourselves, the part that we want to be right, the part that puts everything into perspective and says it's all this, 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 and this. And then if we're not willing to come to a godly situation and bring all of the facts there and let that deal with things, you don't want your stuff exposed. And there'd be some, I can guarantee you, that would come to a church, or not the church, but come to, the, to, to men or women, whatever. They come and they sit down, they, they lay us all out. And when they say, listen, this is how we see it according to God's word. Well, I don't agree with that. I'm going to court anyway. Well, what does that tell you? See, here's the next, the next step of that. If you submit yourself to the body of Christ, 
then you need to be able to go through with that, wherever the, the, the outcome is. This is it. Now, pray over that. And again, don't go finding an alliance and then bring them with you so that they can be your justification. It should be God's word and the Holy Spirit that is the justification of right and wrong. Anything else is tainted. But when Paul puts it this way in verse 8, no, it's not just about allowing these things to happen. Now, you're, you're the ones doing the cheating. You're the ones doing the, uh, the wronging here. See, it puts the shoe on the other foot. It's one thing to respond when we're wrong, but it's another if you're the one who's doing the wronging. <laughs> I know that's not a real word, Jack. It was grammatically incorrect. <clears throat> I'll leave that thought with you this morning. But it's something to ponder, to pray over. And I want to close with this verse. Matthew 5, 21 through 24. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause is shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave it before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And what it's really saying there is, is don't come and practice religion when you haven't lived in the spirit with Jesus loving one another. If there's a problem, go take care of it. Go deal with it. Don't just let it hang there. But like I said, once you've dealt with it, once you've confronted in boldness, and again, in this particular case, in that verse, it's talking about if you know that you've wronged someone or you know that they feel you've wronged them, then you be the, good, the, 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 the larger person and go and say, listen, this is what I, I think you think I did. If, I, if, I, if it's misinterpreted, deal with it that way. But if it's true, then repent. And tell them you're sorry for what you did and that, that you recognize it was wrong. And, and, and in some cases, restitution is due. But then deal with that. And then you come back because now you're not just coming and doing something religiously. You're coming now back into relationship with Jesus by handling things appropriately. And then you're able to give your gift. He receives it. And there's a huge blessing all the way around because of it. But it's all a matter of how we handle these conflicts. What are we going to do? Forgiveness is not a suggestion. It's a command. We have to forgive. And you can say, well, you choose to forgive. Yeah. But what you're really saying is, is you either choose to obey or you don't. <laughs> it's black and white. You either choose to obey God's word or you don't. God's word says, if you forgive, I'll forgive. It also says, those who have mercy, I will have mercy upon. If you come with no mercy, you're not going to receive mercy. Not an easy message. Not one of the most difficult ones, but it is something for us to ponder on. How do we handle our relationships in the body of Christ? 
And some of you may have other questions like, well, what if somebody sues me out in the world? Well, you have to go through that process because you're bound then by court to go and do what has to be done. But are you the one filing? Are you the one going? Are you the one that's dealing with it? Are they a brother or are they not a brother? All of these things have to be, be considered. But this message is primarily is speaking to the body of Christ. How you deal with it matters. Because Jesus wants us to have peace with one another. And he wants us to love one another. And he wants us to grow together and serve together. And if these things are going on, there's divisions, schisms that keep people from being where God wants them to be. Which means that there's not going to be a lot accomplished. So I encourage you this morning. If there's a conflict between you and another. First go to the Lord. Even before you go to them. And then. Appropriately deal with it according to the word of God. And if both parties are agreeable. Bring it. To a leader in the church. Bring it to a brother. Or whatever in the church. So that they can sit down and go through it with you. Biblically. And be prepared to hear what God has to say and go from there. That's the way things should be done. So, Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you convict our hearts regarding one another because it's easy, very easy, for us to get bitterness in our hearts one toward another. And sometimes over things that really aren't that big of a deal. But sometimes they are a big deal. And how we handle them matters in the body of Christ. So give us the wisdom, discernment, understanding, and guidance to walk these things out in accordance to your word, by the power of your spirit, in relationship with you, because that's the only thing that matters. So we love you, we praise you, and we thank you, and we submit to you. Key part of this message this morning is coming humbly in submission. And if we don't get the outcome that we want or think we might deserve, that's okay. If it's dealt with according to your word and your spirit, then it's going to be the right thing. And let us walk that out, Lord, and live that out as believers one with another. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We have heard God's word, we have praised Him in song, we have shared sweet fellowship a few moments long as we leave this place. In Jesus' tender care, we will share His love with people everywhere. May God keep us till we gather here, or we meet in the Shared sweet 
Yeah, that's right. That last week I said we say happy birthday to Jack again. We'll do it again. <laughs> Jack is just a humble man, so anytime I get a chance to embarrass him, it's good. <laughs> uh, he's getting that right. All right, yeah. Uh oh, oh. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jack. Happy birthday to Ready? See. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, all right, Jack. 